Coming up on today's show, Premier Jason Kenney joins us to start things off the day after the UCP party gets together and decides to expel two of the dissidents from caucus. We'll get his thoughts and your thoughts. Lots of reaction to that story today. We'll also chat with two guys who have embarked on an amazing adventure. They're canoeing across the country. Premier Jason Kenney is joining us now to discuss what's going on within the party right now. Premier, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time this morning. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks very much, Jay. Uh, Premier, right off the hop here, help me make sense of this. Um, for months, you've been the guy that's been telling us, you know, you enjoy the debate of democracy. You had no intention of silencing dissent. And then yesterday, uh, the step is taken to remove two of your most vocal dissenters. So it seems to be a complete contradiction of what you've been saying for weeks and months. No, I don't think so, Shay. It's clear that we've had far more room for MLAs to express their views on the difficult issues around COVID than in any government or party across the country. And it's true, I've defended uh, the democratic debate reflecting the very real debate that's happening in our society. But at the end of the day, a caucus has to be able to operate uh, with a with a degree of solidarity, of mutual trust, um, because uh, we, we need to we need to under- believe that we're all on the same team. And what our caucus decided yesterday, unfortunately, is that a couple of our members really weren't acting uh, consistent with that. So, you know, at the end of the day, I've always said that our caucus will police that kind of thing. They'll decide what the parameters are. The, frankly, the Shay, the political parameters. Uh, it, it's so. It, it's not. It's clearly not a decision just about uh, disagreeing with government policy because we have a lot of members who've done that. But I think they've done it in a way that tries to maintain the the unity of our team, and uh, that was really the basis of yesterday's decision. Yeah, and obviously, Mr. Lowen made the attack personal, saying that you needed to resign as leader. Um, but but Drew Barnes, he's done nothing more than he's been doing for months. Why was he sucked into this vortex? What happened there? Well, well, I think that that his colleagues saw a a, a very uh, serious pattern of behavior, uh, which increasingly was reflecting uh, um, bad faith and an unwillingness to, to even try to work within the team uh, on 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 a point after point. And Shay, look, I'm not going to get into the confidentiality of our of our caucus discussions, but but obviously there are a lot of internal issues. Uh, things that have happened between members that, that ultimately uh, caused, I think, the majority of our caucus to feel like they were being undermined and uh, unable to work as a team as a result. So they made that difficult decision. I regret that, that it had to come to this. Uh, but uh, I respect the decision our caucus has made, and we're going to move on focused on the priorities of the public, which, of course, is getting through the rest of COVID uh, as best we can as a province, and then coming out of it with a strong economic recovery and moving back to the to the fight for a fair deal for Alberta. Premier, you keep mentioning the fact that the caucus made this decision. Are you trying to create the impression that you had no hand in this? This wasn't a directive from you to bring this to a head? The caucus was the one that spurred this? Well, yes, I am. And in fact, uh, just to share with you, my, my view is is that if there's a member who's clearly crossed a line in terms of ethical or legal conduct, that the leader uh, can and must act in terms of removing someone from caucus. We've made that difficult decision once uh, with respect to one member. But if it's more of a political matter about the coherence of the team, about mutual trust, um, about respect for other members, then it then it's, then it's I think for the, it's best for the members to decide. And uh, I can tell you that um, it, this was a it was a motion proposed by by um, uh, indiv- individual members of caucus. It was fairly debated over several hours. 
I would say quite respectfully, uh, and uh, nobody likes it, but the, but they they had to make a, a tough decision, and they did, and I, I respect that. I mean, I did not reveal which way I was voting because I didn't want to sort of put my finger on the scale. Uh, I did express my my disappointment with some of the conduct, and, and people are aware of that. But uh, this uh, ultimately, it, what this says is we we have to be a team. We have to be professional. Uh, we can't allow. Um, it, it, personal agendas to distract the team, or for that matter, the government from the from the business of of, uh, of governing, particularly the time of crisis like this. You mentioned, you know, the tense discussion, the fact that it lasted several hours and things like that. It wasn't put to a secret ballot. Do you, does that give us a, a you know a clear indication? If it was done with a secret ballot, people would have a lot more freedom. But when you're in a meeting where we're talking about expelling two members from the party um, for dissenting. Uh, a secret ballot, I think, would serve well to allow people to dissent without fear of they'll be the next two to be kicked out of the party. What was the vote count in the end, and why wasn't it a secret ballot? Well, I don't know who, what the vote count was. In terms of a secret ballot, I'm not sure how, how that's administered on a on a Zoom call. Uh, but it was it was administered by the acting uh, chair of, of caucus, uh, who is uh, somebody that ha- is uh, has a great... Uh, uh, reputation for, for for professionalism and uh, confidentiality. He's actually a lawyer, so he's bound to, to principles like that. And he's the only person who knows um, how people voted and what the tally was. So he's he, that's confidential. Uh, but uh, it was a majority, and um, I have no doubt about that. Uh, so, so tough decision made, but a necessary decision, and we're moving on. Um, in his resignation, Lowen said that you were seen as arrogant and out of touch. Now, those words, as you know, Premier, weren't chosen lightly. Those are the words that ended a more than 40-year-long Conservative dynasty in this province. He does cite several examples to back up that assertion, examples where your own ministers have had to publicly go out and say, yep, we blew it, we need to start over. Have you lost touch not only with your party's grassroots, but with Albertans in general? Do you feel like your policies and actions are in any way representative of what the people of Alberta want to see from your government? Well, absolutely they are, because uh, we were elected with the largest democratic mandate in Alberta history, the first government ever to win over a million votes, uh, 56% of the popular vote yeah, on a very... Things have changed, as you know. The poll, I mean, you take a look at the polling now, you've gone from those numbers down to the 20s. But the, the point is that that mandate was for a very specific platform, 292 platform commitments, the, the largest and most detailed election platform in history, because we wanted to have a very clear mandate. And we, uh, we've now implemented about 85% of those commitments in whole or in part. And by the end of this spring session of the legislature, we'll have implemented about 90% of what we were elected to do. Now, of course, a small thing happened in the middle of all that called COVID mm-hmm. and the largest global uh, economic collapse in a se- in nearly a century, the largest uh, energy price collapse in history, uh, a triple whammy for this province that has hit us hard, hit all Albertans hard. And, of course, you know full well, and I've, I've spoken to, about this on your show before, Shay, that, that in this province we've had, a, unfortunately, a very polarized uh, debate, well, not even a debate sometimes, just a real polarization on uh, COVID and the COVID response. You know, there's a lot of folks out there who criticize the government for having been uh, insufficiently stringent on COVID measures. A lot of others who say we've been far too stringent. 
uh, we've been trying as best we can to walk a middle path that hasn't pleased people on the on the margins. Uh, but I believe that uh, when this is all said and done, we'll be able to look back and see that in a, in a certainly in a Canadian and a global perspective that Alberta has Albertans have done well throughout the pandemic, and we are set according to most think tanks for the best economic growth in the country. Uh, we were elected for um, jobs in the economy, and, and that's what we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think partly as a result of the pro-growth policies we put in place, and uh, this fall we get to come back to things like the referendum on equalization and the fight for a fair deal, which unites many Albertans. Um, as you mentioned, we're in the middle of a pandemic here, and, and things are, have gotten into another situation where, I, I don't want to say crisis, but things are very serious right now. Obviously, with you know kids out of schools, we're hearing that rural emergency departments are closing their doors in some locations. Um, a lot of businesses and people certainly suffering. Um, and it would appear the governing party is, at the very least, preoccupied with infighting and palace intrigue by the things we're seeing this week. Who, who's actually doing the work of government? The legislature's closed. I mean, we need a steady hand on the wheel here, don't we? Well, we are a steady hand on the wheel, Shay. Every day, uh, I'm in uh, uh, pretty much back-to-back meetings on uh, on COVID-related matters, and with our cabinet, we, as you know, we're making very difficult decisions as we did with with recent restrictions, uh, and and we continue to do that. Um, the truth is, we're spending less time on on politics, if you will, because right now the legislature is not in session, so there's not the the daily shouting match or question period and all of that. I'll also point out to you, Jay, that in the past uh, 14 months, Alberta's legislature has met more days and passed more legislation than any legislature or the Parliament of Canada, getting more business done, including on non-COVID-related matters, because we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do the people's business on issues like economic policy um, and um, provide the direction that's needed to, for example, our, our, our health service. In terms of covid um, you're right that, that this is a critical moment, and we are going to see a growing pressure on the hospital system for at least another uh, probably three weeks. But I, I do want to highlight there is some encouraging news that Albertans are rising to the call, it appears, and uh, the numbers, that the, the total active case numbers have stabilized. They're coming down a little bit. Daily case numbers are coming down from last week, and and so I think we have a, a good reason to hope that uh, we're we're we're, we're going to get out of this, um, it, and uh, we just have to stick to our uh, stick to our guns for a couple more weeks here. Yeah, you mentioned the fact that the, the province has passed more legislature and held more days and things like that, but it is closed now. Uh, you know, the legislature is closed and it's been extended past the May long weekend at a time when I think you know there is a lot going on in our province right now. Why is it closed, or at least you know I. I I saw that the speaker was talking about setting up virtual meetings, you know, later this month. I mean, we've been virtually meeting around the world for over a year now. The House of Commons has figured it out. Why is the business of the legislature shut down at such a critical moment? What is the reasoning for it? Well, I believe the committees are still uh, meeting. Uh, again, we're way ahead of our schedule in terms of legislation because we met so much last year when uh, the opposition wanted wanted to shut down the legislature, and many most other legislatures in Canada shut down for much of last year. We didn't do that, but we hit this this uh, record high peak in cases, this huge spike, as you know, mm-hmm. in the past uh, a couple of weeks. We needed to send a message to Albertans uh, to, if possible, stay home. Bringing eighty three MLAs from every corner of the province, excuse me, eighty seven MLAs from every corner of the province uh, to, to Edmonton um, it, it didn't seem like a responsible or prudent thing to do uh, during uh, that very serious spike. So both for, you know, to help keep the staff safe up there, to, to, to limit exposure of MLAs, to stop people mixing from all across the province. We just thought at that particular time it made sense 
if we're asking people really to, if possible, to work from home, that we should do the same. And uh, I think that once we see a pattern of the numbers coming down again and getting COVID under control, uh, we can come back in the legislature and finish our business. We'll, have, we'll sit just as many days as we plan to, just be a little later into the spring. Um, speaking of heading a little bit later into uh, the spring and the summer, I know Stampede has been something you've talked about. We're still going to have Stampede. We're hearing that Toronto is closing down um, any uh, uh, gatherings and events right through until September. Given our current situation, you know, the best summer ever seems to be in jeopardy. Um, where do you think we stand in terms of getting a summer that would look something even remotely close to normal? It looks like that's slipping away. Well, there's been a, a group at um, Alberta Health working with organizers of major summer events on uh, potential parameters for outdoor events this summer, and I'm still confident that that much of that can happen. The problem, of course, is the planning horizon. Many of these are organi- or big events that require uh, months of planning, but I think they have contingency. There are many events, including Stampede, that are working on contingency plans for, for scaled-down events. Uh, one thing we've been working on with the Stampede, for example, and the Government of Canada is getting uh, special permission for um, rodeo performers and athletes uh, to to come up here uh, from the U.S. uh, so that they can participate with some flexibility around the quarantine and travel requirements, for example. So there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. What we need to see, and really the answer to your question, O'Shea, is how Albertans um, respond to the spike over the next little bit of time uh, the next, let's say, three three weeks or so, if we can just really drive this spike down uh, and let the vaccines take over in June, then I think we can see a significant relaxation of public health restrictions uh, in the summer. Now, I, I've never suggested that there won't be any restrictions. I've always said I can't imagine 25,000 people sit, sitting right next to each other in the stands at mm-hmm. the Stampede. But, um, but I do think we can have uh, uh, summer events. And when I say best summer ever, what I mean is, a summer where, where grandparents are able to go over and, and hug their grandkids, that I think for most people will be the best summer. Just getting out of COVID will be uh, a, a great moment for all of us. Okay, I know you've got to run. Just one more before I go here, speaking to leadership. And, you know, leadership, I think the, the, the key tenet of it is the fact that the people you're leading have confidence in the person that's leading them. Um, y- you take a look at the polling numbers, which we touched on earlier. It would appear most Albertans seem to have lost that confidence. We take a look at what's going on within the UCP party itself. It's questionable if you have the caucus's confidence. Um, the leadership question itself... Do you have what you need in terms of the confidence of Albertans and your own party to continue guiding this province through what is a really tumultuous time, both economically, public health-wise? There's all sorts of things going on. Are you the guy for the job? Have you considered that maybe uh, you don't have the confidence you need to continue to lead this province? Well, first, yesterday our caucus did confirm their, their confidence in my leadership, and I appreciate that. I mean, that was obviously uh, one of the issues at play at the decision made yesterday. Uh, secondly, and I, I, as you know, there have been some folks uh, uh, trying to destabilize the, the government during this uh, period of crisis uh, internally. I think it's a very small group, and they simply haven't uh, been able to uh, demonstrate uh, any widespread support for that. So, yes, I, I believe I have the confidence of the the party that I lead and the, the caucus I serve with, and uh, I'm governing on, on the largest de- democratic mandate in Alberta history. We've been through some tough times, uh, but I, I think we're going to emerge very strong. And so I, I look forward to, to, to leading uh, through this period. And um, and and I just, you know, for, for all Albertans, I know it's been a tough time. A lot of people are angry and anxious, but we can see uh, that we're, we're getting very close to the end of this thing. Uh, let's get to the goal. Um, 
just to wrap up, the meeting yesterday, was it sort of we're just going to have this vote or was there also clear directive to the party going forward in terms of this has to stop um, and there will be further consequences if it continues or was that law not put down and we may see more party members taking well, the same steps these others did? Well, I think that was very, I think that message was was very uh, implicit that, that caucus members are uh, have a uh, limited tolerance now for, for behavior that can undermine the unity of our team and our ability to work together in trust. Okay. Premier Kenny, I appreciate your time. As always, thank you for joining us this morning. Really appreciate it, Jay. Thank you. Thank you. That is Premier Jason Kenny. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three four zero three nine seven four eight two five five. You've heard from me. You've heard from the premier. Now let's hear from you, Drew. Get us started. Hi, Drew. How are you? Drew, are you there? Uh, yeah. One sec. Okay. Go ahead. Gotcha. Hey. Um, yeah, I just wanted to comment that uh, he can dodge a question like no other. I don't think he got one straight answer out of him. <laughs> I don't know. I think I kind of did. I think in some cases I did. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that, that's what a politician does, and the good ones do it very well. Um, yeah. You know, I, I tried to circle back on a couple of the questions. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you ask the questions, and, and you, you try and get the answer as best you can. But um, he, I think he answered some of the things. What, what were you looking for that you didn't get? Um, I was just, uh, just pretty much saying I don't know what he's supposed to do at this point. Um and if, like, the opposition was in power right now, what would be different, like, um, when it comes to anything COVID-related? Um, they can sit there and say, oh, well, he should be doing this or this. But I'm just wondering how it would be different if, say, NDP was in, or could they do anything different to make this better, or would it be the same old package? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. What you, you know what? And, I, and I've said that uh, many times. Um, it's, it's an almost impossible situation for any political leader. But... I've also said, but that's the job. That's the job. You've got to do it, right? I mean, that's the circumstances you're faced with. Don't make excuses. Get to work. Yeah. Now we can debate whether or not he's done that effectively or not. Yeah, perfect. All right, thanks, Jay. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate the call. Diane. Good morning, Diane. How are you? Good morning. Am I, is it, am I the Diane you're talking to? You are the Diane I am talking to, yes. Shay, I thought you did a really good job with that interview. Uh, full transparency. Uh, I'm a city councillor here in Calgary um, and uh, have been very much a part of uh, trying to manage uh, a dual crisis as, as far as what's going on in Calgary uh, with uh, the oil and gas and with yes. the pandemic. So um, I just wish people would sort of back off the Premier. Um, this isn't easy. Um, you're talking about an in-camera caucus meeting where there's a you know, pretty limited amount about what you can say. Uh, I just wish there was a parallel council. So we have people on our council who uh, outrightly disagree. Uh, stuff gets leaked out of in-camera meetings. Uh, you can't even get people at a municipal level to apologize uh, when the integrity commissioner investigates. So at least at the provincial level, there's some consequence when you don't uh, 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 be a, a team player sure. and try to work through these complicated matters. So I'm uh, we can't even, as I said, we can't even get people to apologize at the municipal level. Uh, and so um, I'm, I'm pleased he's taken this step. I think he tried to accommodate uh, all these moving parts and uh, these, these masks and, and back, uh, anti-vaxxers and people hiding behind the shield of the charter. Uh, and uh, and here we are. So I think it's a watershed moment. Um, it, it, this is Diane Collier-Cart, right? 
It is. Okay, yes. yes. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I knew who I was talking to. Um, you know, and you say back off the premier and things like that. And, and you know, as I said to the previous caller, Diane, we, that's the job. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's a difficult circumstance. But you signed up for it. I mean, at some yeah. point, right, he has to be able to stand in there and answer the questions that are being asked. That is the job. I know it's tough. I, I believe I believe he's doing that. But there's people uh, in elected office, and when you have a partisan uh, group like we do in Edmonton, um, you know, you either support the party uh, or you don't. And we all have to represent our, our citizens. So it's a different it's a different animal. It's a different beast when you're part of a, a, a UCP caucus. And I'll, uh, in further transparency, I am a conservative. So I've gone through yeah, many of the that. toils of uh, of uh, running in a by-election against the Reform Party and lost here in Calgary. And we've seen how the Conservatives, you know, are like the Piranha Party, where they can turn on themselves, then they divide, then they come back together. And uh, and so this is tough, especially when you're in the circumstance that we're in today. It is. It is so, uh, so it is a tough job, and I agree, uh, Sean, that uh, uh, it's, it's what the job is. It's what we signed up for, absolutely. But when you can't toe the line in a partisan system, uh, there's consequence. Okay, Diane, I appreciate your call. Thanks so much for joining us today. Bye. Diane Colley Urquhart, uh, city councillor in Calgary. Uh, that, that wasn't planned. She just decided to call in, which is which is great. That's fantastic. And obviously, she's in support of the way that the premier is uh, handling the situation. Let's go to Glenn. Hi, Glenn. How are you? How are you doing, Shay? Excellent. Thank you so much for calling. How are you? Well, pretty good. I just. I just got to tell you that you're one of the best get hosts now, used to be guest hosts. The questions you ask are right to the point, and Shay, they're awesome. And my comment is, I think the questions you ask were answered mostly good. But you know, the biggest points you made there was the last question you asked, uh, which I kind of just started laughing, to tell you the truth. I thought, Jesus, Shay, you're tough. <laughs> but anyway, partner, I really believe that Jason did a good job coming out right away on this. And as you know, uh, whether it's business or sports or whatever, if you're on the team, you're on the team. If you're not, you're not. And uh I talked to a few people who were right up the top in government yesterday. They were just getting opinions, and I said to them, I'd fire them. And, uh, you know, I've, I've run some major corporations in my lifetime, and, and they did the right thing. This is tough times, and we need tough people, and we got one there. He's taken a lot of crap. He's dropped in the polls, Shay. But yeah, you know, but it took like him a hell of you, a long time to get tough. I mean, I agree he got tough yesterday, but for weeks and months he's been letting these people nip at his ankles. Yeah, but you know, in business sometimes there's always those that are nipping and nipping, and and you try to put the priorities. His priority right now is to get us in a position where people aren't dying yeah. and life is going forward. And it's a hell of a job. I wouldn't sure take is. that job no matter what, <laughs> no, and neither would I. you. It's way easier for you and I to sit back here and uh, and critique than actually be the ones uh, in the arena. I do give them full credit for that because this is tough, tough times. Um, I believe we have Lori Hahn, former uh, federal conservative MP, joining us now, wants to discuss the interview. Uh, is this Mr. Hahn? Yes, it is, Jay. Jay, how are you doing? I'm really well. How are you, sir? I'm well, thanks. Appreciate it. How would you and, think? Uh, 
Thanks for taking the call. You know, and, and I served in caucus for 10 years federally with, with Jason Kenney, and I have the utmost respect for him. You know, we didn't always agree with, with everything that Prime Minister Harper did. We had some very lively discussions in caucus, and we, we fought it out, we argued it out. But at the end of the day, when the door opened, we were all on the same page, i.e. on the same team. And if anybody couldn't suck up not winning every one of their own arguments, then independence was always an option. You know, in Alberta, we're a pretty similar libertarian kind of society, and I think that's one of our strengths, maybe one of our weaknesses, perhaps at the same time. And that kind of characteristic carries over into the folks in the legislature. So, you know, lively debate and so on is great, but at some point, you know, when you have your say, caucus decides, as they did, and and you move on. And, uh, you know, the Premier's been dealt a pretty tough hand, which I think he's handling about as well as anybody could. You know, when you're doing that, you're all, you're going to get crap from both sides no matter what you do. You know, I made this comment on the air earlier that uh, Stephen Harper would not have tolerated this. The, the first time, the first time one of his caucus members stepped out of line, he would rein them right back in and make it clear that this can't happen. As you're saying, you can have these discussions behind closed doors, but when it comes time to be public-facing, we got to be on the same page. I think the Premier has shot himself in the foot by allowing this to go on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and not saying, guys... We can have the discussion behind closed doors, but when I go out and say this is what we're doing, we're all on board. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do to an extent. I mean, again, I'll go back to my comment about civil, civil libertarianism in, in Alberta, and Jason gets that. He obviously has lived here many, many years. And, you know, you've got to let folks have their say, but I, I do agree that at some point, you know, and there was never any doubt with Stephen Harper. Right. You know, he was a leader, and there was absolutely no doubt. And people could, you could argue with him. And I had several one-on-ones with, with Prime Minister Harper, just him and me, on a number of issues, and he always listened. He always gave me, let me have my say. I have to admit, I lost more than I won, but I won a couple. Right. Uh, you know, but you've got to be able to have that access to the leader. The leader's got to listen. At the end of the day, though, as a team, the team makes the decision. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, they, they made a decision. And uh, now we stand know, by. I, it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, know. Thanks so much for weighing in. I appreciate it. Great insight on uh, what it was like working with Stephen Harper. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Good talking to you. That's uh, Lori Hahn, uh, former MP in Stephen Harper's government uh, back in the day. All right. We've heard from a Calgary City Councillor and a former MP. Uh, now let's hear from Nick. Morning, Nick. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for calling. Uh, I really enjoyed that interview. Uh, I think you asked some tough questions, which was great. Um, I have more than a comment than a question. So my comment is simply this. The other day I was just driving home and I started thinking about Alberta premiers that I've been you know, sort of political savvy enough to know about, starting with uh, Lougheed. Right. And kind of went down the list, like, who's my best, who's my worst? And, you know, I have to unfortunately say that uh, Kenny's the worst. He's the uh, the absolute worst premier we've had in this province. Um, followed closely behind by, I'd say, either Redford or Prentice, I don't know. Uh, and then kind of going up the line with Klein and then into the Stelmack and okay, Getty. Well, where, and where's he falling down? Where do you see the biggest issues with what he's done? And that's another good question because I kind of came down to well, I mean, a lot of his policies. I think are not really the Alberta. Like I think he's thinking about an Alberta that's not Alberta anymore. You know, the whole anti-environment thing and stuff. That's that's not going to play anymore. People aren't people aren't there in their heads anymore. We know we have to take care of the environment. We know we have to do some work on that. Um, I think he's missed the boat on the transition from oil and gas into some green energy too. I mean, mm-hmm. that's sort of something we need we need to do. The, the the bottom line is we're not really doing that. The bet on the oil uh, line down to the states, 1.5 billion lost. That was a terrible decision. 
But at the end of the day, I just don't think he's a very nice person. You know, <laughs> I, that I, counts. That, that counts. I mean, the way you feel about across. a guy, it counts in politics. Yeah, he doesn't come across as somebody who understands, you know, my life or the lives of farmers or, you know, the lives of anybody, really. I give you sort of carries on with ideologically driven policies where right now we need flexibility we need compassion we need smarts okay and uh not seeing it thanks nick i appreciate the call there's a story going on in our province right now that uh, to me just sounds so so cool think about this for a sec what's the craziest thing that you've done that you say you you could blame it on pandemic boredom you know, maybe some very questionable redecorating. You started a truly ridiculous hobby, watched a horrible show like, I don't know, Friends all over again right from the very beginning. More than likely, whatever you did pales in comparison to what our next guests have gotten themselves into. We're going to chat now with Brett Casey and Elias Edercorn, two guys who I believe, if I have this right, are actually in a canoe right now. Do I have that right, Brett? Elias, you guys are canoeing as we speak? Yeah, yeah, you bet. We're somewhere between Redwater and Smoky Lake. <laughs> okay. Um, you uh, started out, when did, when did the canoe trip start? Let's just establish that. It started, it started about three weeks ago in Rocky Mountain House. Okay. And then we paddled to Edmonton, and we had to hang out there for a few days and wait for our new boat to arrive. Now, you've got your new boat, you're back in the water. Um, tell us about this trip you're taking because you've been at it for three weeks and you have barely just begun. <laughs> yeah, definitely just scratching the surface here. <laughs> and, uh, well, the North Saskatchewan that we're on right now, that's probably going to be the longest stretch. It's, I think, well over a thousand kilometers. I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, we're definitely scratching the surface and we plan maybe four to five months to get out to the Atlantic Ocean. To the Atlantic Ocean for five months. Um, and as I said, you guys say the reason you're doing this is basically because you were bored during the pandemic and looking for an adventure. It's that simple? Yeah, it was a little bit of that. And I'm returning to school for my education after degree in Fredericton, yeah. where, where Eli and I met. And I just thought it would be a cool way to get there. That's you know, pretty COVID safe. We have all our supplies with us and Anytime we need more food, we're getting it mailed to us, so we're not really going to be in towns or cities or anything like that. And we just thought, yeah, it'd be a cool way to get back out east and enjoy the summer. I'm just going to put this out there. You're in a canoe, not going to be around any sound, uh, towns or cities. Have you guys seen Deliverance? Have you seen that movie? I have not. I, I've <laughs> Good. seen that one. Yeah. And, uh, so we're well aware of the situation. <laughs> but uh, we feel pretty safe and confident out here that we know what we're doing. And... Uh, we got each other, and then we got our guard dog with us, too, so it's pretty nice. Yeah, you got Tundra the guard dog with you going, so it's not just you two. You've also got uh, some canine companionship with you. Yeah, we've got uh, my girl that I've had for a couple of years now, and she loves uh, the adventure probably more than we do. Now, this is an adventure, but it's also going to be pretty grueling, I would think. What, what's the background that you guys have? I mean, Are you experienced outdoors people, experienced canoers, or is this something brand new to you? Yeah, we're, we're fairly experienced outdoors people. Uh, we both have forestry backgrounds and worked wildland firefighting for a number of years. I think Eli, five years. I did it for 12 years. So we're quite used to just being out in remote areas for extended yeah. periods of time. And just in our hobbies, we, we enjoy camping and hiking and getting out there. I used to be a whitewater raft guide in 2008 on the upper Red Deer River. And, and then I used to work for the Boy Scouts of America paddling the... Lake of the Woods area, taking groups out 
and interpreting the lakes and the trails and teaching people how to camp. So okay. So you've done you've done something kind of remotely connected to this before. Uh, what kind of planning goes into something like this when you're talking about a four or five month long canoe trip? I mean, just how much pre planning did you have to do before you felt comfortable hitting the water? Probably more than we enjoyed or anticipated. Neither of us are very good planners, I suppose. Uh, I think the first call was at the end of December, and I said, you want to paddle to New Brunswick? And he said, yeah, sure. And I think at the end of the phone call, we maybe had talked a little bit about, should we start looking at routes or this or that? And I think we both just said, well, it's going to be easy. We just float down the river. (laughs) As it got closer, we started realizing, yeah, we need four months worth of food, and we need a canoe, which almost didn't make it, and that's a pretty pivotal piece. But, yeah, as it got closer, we definitely put in quite a bit of work, probably a month's worth of dehydrating food. And it was a little difficult at times with uh, Eli at the time was living in on Gabriel Island, and I was living in Canmore. Yeah. So we had to do a lot of planning via phone calls and Skypes and things like that. Um, the, the route, like you said, I mean, uh, this is going to sound really, really dumb, but uh, that's okay. Can you just hop in the North Saskatchewan and basically go all the way through one waterway or another all the way to Fredericton? I mean, is this is it that is that possible? How does this work? Um, so if you look back in the history, like people used to cross this country all the time. There's a couple of different routes, but we're taking one of the main ones, and the North Saskatchewan takes us almost all the way into Manitoba and then like Winnipeg, and then you got to you got to go up river for a little bit just to to being far north now, and then we're heading south and east. Uh, so there is some strategic planning to do through the lake systems, but there's so many options there because it's such a high-trafficked area. And then we got to hop on the big uh, Superior, and then we can take the St. Lawrence across. And So there's a little bit of planning, and then uh, Brett did a really good job at looking at some options and talking to people that have done the trip before and their ideas and what's going on out there. But we feel pretty confident that we're going to almost change our mind here and there and be like, oh, we can go this way today. So what's a day, an average day in this trek look like? How far do you go? And then, I mean, do you have to sort of like set up camp every night? I guess you do, right? Yeah, you bet. It was a little uh, adventurous at the beginning that first week when we left Rocky Mountain House. We left in the middle of a snowstorm and it was minus 10. And there was about uh, six to eight feet of, it looked like glacier ice on either side of the river. So we really had to have our wits about us to actually stay in the boat because it was so cold. We didn't want to be getting wet and might have been a while before we could take out of the river. But uh, a typical day now that the weather has changed and spring has sprung and there's some green leaves on the trees is just wake up in the morning, get the stove going, boil some water for coffee, make some porridge or something like that, pack up camp, load the boat, and just hit the water. Yeah. And I think so far we've been averaging about, on average, 50 kilometers a day. Okay. They've been, they've been relatively short days, about six hours, six and a half hours. It's an awesome way to see the country, I guess, right? I mean, you're seeing things that it's got to be amazing just in terms of, you know, the the scenery, the wildlife, everything else. It's got to be a a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, Being on the water, a lot of the wildlife definitely flock towards it. And it's uh, been really pretty so far. Uh, We've seen like every day we see something new and we mark it off and write in our journals. Uh, We've both driven across this country a few times and seen it in different ways flying as well and mm. uh we were happy to see like the sandhill cranes flying over edmonton i think i said swans before in our last interview because we were a little scattered um but like last night there was a moose just uh, across the island from us and 
there's always all sorts of new waterfowl around and so we're hoping to keep track of things and keep our eyes open it's just a beautiful country and has a lot to offer it sounds so cool you guys stay safe and thanks for uh, taking a little time maybe we'll check in later this summer and see how it's going yeah you bet uh, we're not really good at social media but we have an instagram page called alongside canada <laughs> yeah i'm not good at instagram either but i'll pass that along alongside canada that's what it's called yeah we throw a couple photos up from time to time that's all we can ask all we can ask brett uh eli thanks so much i appreciate your time today you bet thank you as well there you go uh, Brett Casey and Elias Edercorn, uh, who left Rocky Mountain House about three weeks ago, passed through Edmonton already, are now out between Redwater and Smoky Lake as they make the trek all the way to Fredericton, New Brunswick. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.